honestly, it really does change your life. It really does change your life. Things that are theoretical become actual to you. Just like the difference between having your best friend tell you about falling in love, where you get all the accurate information, and you think you understand falling in love, and then six months later you fall in love, and all of a sudden, well, that's just a whole different ball game. Wow comes to mind. It's a lot like that. So today, we want to look at what is our part in receiving this spirit of adoption and experiencing the love of the Father. You see, in the Christian life, the, the, the difficulty in the Christian life, I don't know if you've found this, but I sure have. Haven't you ever prayed this? Oh God, just change me and make me good. I, have you ever prayed that? I, I used to pray that all the time till I gave up. I just wish I'd say, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't care how much it hurts or what you have to do. Just take me and, and change me from this beast that I am into a male version of Mother Teresa. Which is terrible to even think about, isn't it? And then it would never happen. Because God doesn't just sovereignly come down and take you and instantly make you perfect. It's this, uh, I like to think of our life with God kind of like a dance. And when you dance, one of you is supposed to lead, but when Shelly and I dance because she's a really good dancer and I am, well, what I am, I try to lead and I end up hurting her and dislocating, you know, joints and things. And then she leads a little bit and cleans it up and the dance starts to look good. And then I assert my manhood again and I lead a little bit and then wreck it all. And, and, and we, sort of, we sort of dance. It's, it's kind of comic. Everyone around stops and just watches. Not like in those Hollywood scenes where they stop and watch because it's really good. They stop and watch just to see what's going to happen next. But it's kind of like a dance because sometimes he's leading and sometimes we're leading. Sometimes it's, it's, it's all about him and sometimes he expects us to act. We have our part in the Christian life. It's sort of this wonderful romantic dance between him and us. And he doesn't just instantly make us perfect. We have a part to play in our own growth and change. Receiving the spirit of adoption is like that. There's God's part. He desires to do this, and he has the power to do this. But there's our part. He doesn't forcefully overwhelm us with himself, even with his love. There has to be a desire inside to experience his love. And even if there's a desire, there are still things that may need to be gotten over. There may be barriers or impediments to receiving his love that are already in our life that we may or may not be conscious of. And that's where I want to start this morning. What are the barriers? We need to deal with the barriers between us and receiving the experience of the Father's love. What's Satan's principal weapon against you? Lies. You know, I've thought about it a lot. He really only has two tools, you guys, really honestly. We think he's so big and powerful and everything. He's not. He has two principal weapons, lies and fear. That's how he manipulates your life, through a combination of lies and fears. And most of the lies end up turning into fears, right? If you start believing some of those lies, pretty soon you're living in fear. Anytime you're not living in the truth, you ultimately end up living in fear. So his principal weapon are lies. He's the father of lies. 
We need to look for the lies that are in our lives. Now, there's two of them that come together strongly in this message. Two principal lies that stand between us and the love of the Father. The first one I call bad father images. Now, I told John what I was going to speak on today, and Pastor John said, whatever you do, don't just get up and whip every father in the place. But the fact is, nobody... But the fact is... But the fact is, look, let's be honest. Is there anyone in this room today who had a perfect father? A father who never made any mistake in anything. He's sitting beside his dad and he's, he's putting up his... He's put, it's, it's pure, folks, it's points. It's just points. I know it's just points he's going for because as soon as he put up his hand, his father pulled it down. Because his father knows... Darn well, he's not a perfect father. There are no perfect fathers in our life. And here's the problem. We get most of our understanding of the heavenly father from our earthly father. The child is young. The child is unable at one years old or two years old or even three years old to comprehend an invisible, eternal, self-existent, Creator of the universe, God. So everything the child understands about the concept of fatherhood comes through the only father that child has at that time. The skin and bones one. The imperfect one. Now, if your father was almost perfect, you are not going to have a hard time contemplating an all-loving, wonderful, affectionate, heavenly father who seeks to reach out and touch you. You're not going to have a problem with that. But if your father was difficult, and mine was, you are going to have a very hard time comprehending or imagining the love of the Heavenly Father when you continually default to seeing it through the lens of your earthly father. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we transfer our expectations or understanding from our earthly father onto our Heavenly Father. Listen. As long as we judge our heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly fathers, we will never truly know His love. Our earthly fathers, no matter how good we're imperfect, they can never, listen, they can never give us the full blessing as sons and daughters that we need, and I would add, to be honest, that we crave. We must admit this deficiency and turn our gaze from our earthly fathers to our Heavenly Father. This means no longer looking horizontally to our fathers, our leaders, our friends, our wives, or our husbands for the affirmation and love that we need. Do you understand? Until your gaze goes vertical, you are looking for affirmation and you are looking for the love that your soul needs on a horizontal plane and nobody is going to live up to that. And many marriages are based on the idea in each of us that we will find someone who will love us unconditionally in the way that our heart craves and we have now set up an expectation in that marriage that nobody can fulfill. And we don't become free to really love our spouses until we are looking up to get what we need from the Father. That affirmation. And as we're receiving it from Him, we don't reach out in a clinging, manipulative, controlling way to get the love from our spouse that we need. We're already getting it from Him so we can hold our love and our desires in an open hand and we can love freely and receive love freely. And that's a successful marriage. 
both, I don't know why I'm getting off on this. Someone needs to hear it. Both parties, husband and wife, both need to have vertical relationships with the Father before they can have a successful horizontal relationship with each other. It's a triangle. God's at the top. Husband, wife, they both have these vertical relationships with God and as long as they're pursuing that, they're coming closer together. If they're just looking on the horizontal plane, that marriage is not going to be satisfying. We've got to get over that father, that bad father image. So for the blessing of the father, we need to ask the heavenly father. So that's one of the big barriers. The other big barrier is, and it might even be combined with that barrier. In my life, the second barrier was combined with the first, so I'm in a lot of trouble. I've got the two big ones I'm grappling with. The second one is bad teaching. Many of us have grown up as Christians under a type of teaching about the nature of our Heavenly Father that is flat out just not true. Legalistic teaching that stresses the holiness of God without His affectionate love creates employees rather than sons and daughters. Let me say it again. Legalistic teaching that stresses the holiness of God without His affectionate love creates employees rather than sons and daughters. Sons are secure. Employees can always lose their jobs. Do you understand? Teaching that focuses on what we must do for God without first imparting to us the love and acceptance of our Father creates the same insecurity. Do you get it? I hope you weren't raised in that kind of tradition, but I was. Combining that idea of God with my earthly father's fathering made for a very nasty employee-employer relationship at the very best. Always striving, never measuring up. Do you ever feel that way? It's like a treadmill. It's a religious treadmill. So first, you need to deal with these barriers, the bad father image and the bad teaching. Number two, dealing with the barriers, bitterness. I'm not going to talk about this in much length right now because later in the message we're going to hit it. If you hold unforgiveness in your heart, if you're holding bitterness in your heart towards anybody, it is... I think it's impossible. It's very difficult to receive the love of the Father when you're holding anger and bitterness in your heart. See, they're oil and water. They just, they just don't mix. They just don't mix. So if that's the issue, for your sake, not for the other person's sake, you don't forgive for their sake. Never. I learned a long time ago, I forgive for my sake. I want more of God, so I've got to get on His page, and I've got to release forgiveness so I can get the fruit of forgiveness. Are you with me? So we'll deal with this in a moment. Okay. After you've dealt with these lies, there's still an issue in receiving the work of the Holy Spirit. All the work of the Holy Spirit. Not just this one particular work. You've got to increase your faith to receive. Folks, we receive everything in the Christian life by faith. You got in by faith, you go on by faith. The same faith that got you in and believing in Him takes you on. 
How do I get more faith? Well, the same way you got it in the first place. By believing. Let's look at Galatians 3.2. I love Paul's attitude. <laughs> I think he's frustrated with these people. I think he's kind of getting bordering on had enough. If you reach the, read the rest of Galatians, he is frustrated with these people. And he says, I'd, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Anytime your husband or your wife starts saying, I'd just like to say one thing to you. I'd just like to learn one thing from you. You know you're in an argument. And Paul's in an argument and he's upset. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? There's another translation. Are you such idiots? They, they, the Bible has, the, the, um, the interpreters have toned down Paul. Okay? They've toned him down. If you actually check the real Greek on a lot of these things, and there's this polite little English phrase, and then you go and look up the Greek, it's a whole lot more passionate and rude. Are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it was really for nothing? Here's the operative question. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you? Because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard. There is an irony in the Christian life and the irony is this. When you became a Christian, most of you were so completely conscious of how rotten you were that you really knew you needed a Savior. In fact, your conversion moment was one of the most honest moments, if not the most honest moment of your life. You took a long look at yourself and you came up short and you said, I am in real trouble. I need someone to die on the cross for my sins. I need a Savior. You with me? And in that moment of complete transparency and honesty and humility, you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in faith because you didn't have anything good to offer to buy it with. You haven't been a good person. You can't come and say, look at all the good things I've done. I think I deserve salvation. I'm one of your chosen. I'm one of the 144,000 because I'm just so doggone good in my white robe. Your robe's all filthy, dirty, and torn. You're a mess. You're at your worst. So you can't buy it at that point. You just have to take it in faith. Are you with me? But here's the irony. After a few years of being a Christian, you see how much he's changed you. And you start to take the credit for it. And you start to think, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I deserve the blessings of God. You start to fall under a legalistic form of thinking that says, I'm really kind of earning it. It's like joining a golf club. The initiation, Jesus paid for, but the yearly dues, you've got to come up with. So you move from life under grace and life under freedom as a, as, a, as, a, as a free gift of just believing by faith into what He's given you. You move from that into a, yeah, salvation was by faith and it was a free gift, but the yearly dues and getting the blessings as we go on is really, I need to perform for that. You have slid out from under grace under the law. And that's what Paul's talking about. Are you so crazy that starting with the Spirit and starting with grace and just believing into God, you guys are now sliding back under the law? You want to be good little Pharisees again. Because I've said this before, inside each one of us is a little Pharisee screaming to take over. And we have a tendency, a natural default position to slide away from grace right back under legalism. 
And the worst thing you can do is start to think, I have to earn the love of God. I have to earn the experience of the love of God. You can't earn the experience of the love of God. You must believe into it just like you believed into salvation. And he goes on to say, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? People, our enemy is lies. Our, our enemy are lies. Our enemy is lies. Our enemy is a lie. We have an enemy who lies. I don't know. It's all, it's all good. The, the solution... Listen, guys, the enemy is a liar and he lies to you and your biggest problem are his lies and the solution to his lies is faith. You must believe something other than the lies. It's very simple. For every lie he tells you, there's a Bible truth somewhere hidden in this book. If you find it and believe it, it will kill the lie and evaporate it and take it out of your life. The solution to lies is not do more and try harder trying to earn your way into his good graces. The solution to lies is believing the truth. You just got to find the truth. And when you find the truth, you got to claim it and say, it's my truth, I'm not giving this up. And the enemy will come and say, you don't deserve to have that truth. You're not good enough to have that truth. And you just smile and say, you're absolutely right. Only true thing he ever said, I'm not good enough to have this truth. But Jesus died so I can have it. So, bug off. <laughs> bug off. Go find somebody else to bother. I'm not buying your lies today. Today, I'm standing in the truth. Today, I believe in grace. Today, I believe in Jesus Christ. Today, I'm standing under the blood. Today, I'm under the grace. I don't have to listen to your lies. In fact, bug off. I rebuke this thought in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I command it to leave my conscious mind now. You know how many times a day I have to do that? I, a lot. I do that a lot. I recognize a thought which is based on a lie and I say, hey, th- wait a minute. That, that, that thought, the origin of that thought is not God. It's not something he would say. It's not in his book. The origin of thought is not me because I didn't choose to have that thought. See, if it's not God and it's not me, it's the devil. Okay? Figured it out. That, that demonic thought was trying to ruin my life. It was trying to rob me of my joy. It was trying to, pl- try to plant a lie in my thinking. I am not going to entertain that thought. And then I take authority and I say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that thought to leave my conscious mind right now. Get out. And I even have to do it with emotions. Emotions can lie to you too. Your hormones can lie to you. In fact, regularly, our hormones lie to us. Don't they? Shelly, God bless her. No, 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 no. She's not here, so. We're going to get away with this. All right, here's, here, here's what happens. This, this blackness, she calls it the blackness, descends on her. And she begins believing just, I mean, the most horrendous lies. You know, girls, you understand. The darkness comes, and you begin believing the most horrendous lies. And, but, but she's learned. We've figured this thing out. What's going on? And she comes to me, and she says, tell me the truth. I need to hear the truth right now. Tell me the truth. And I get in her face, and I say, what's the lie? And she says it, and I say, no, this is the truth. And I repeat it with her. And we go through this, and it takes a couple days, and then all of a sudden, she'll come to me and go, it's gone. They were all lies. It's gone, the dark, they were all lies. And she knows it, just like that. And she fights for her own peace of mind during that dark time, but she needs some help, guys. Hello? She needs some help to believe the truth in the middle of that dark time. And my role is to speak the truth. 
This is what God said. This is what the Bible says. This is what we're choosing to believe. It will lift, honey. It will lift. This thing will be gone. You know it. You've experienced this before. We've been through this a hundred times. It is going to lift. Sometime in the next couple days, it's going to lift. Okay, I just have to get through this next couple days. You understand? She's a fighter. But you have to fight with the truth. You don't fight with willpower. You fight with the truth. Jesus commanded faith. Listen to this. He says, Mark 1.15, The time has come, He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 5.36, Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. Mark 11.22, Have faith in God. Guys, it's a command. Have faith. Have faith. John 20, 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. The only time Jesus lost patience with His disciples was when they were unwilling to believe. Matthew 17, 17. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Oh, unbelieving and perverse. You're perverse because you don't believe. If you were believing, you wouldn't be perverse. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Just sense a little divine frustration. He's only frustrated about their unbelief. They won't believe what he's told them is true. And if they just believe what he's just told them is true, their problems and their anxiety and their lack of peace would evaporate and they would begin to experience the love of God. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes... To, look, you guys, listen to this verse. If this doesn't lay it out, nothing does. Because anyone who comes to Him must do more and try harder and do a lot of religious things to earn their way into God's love. Isn't that what it says? Oh gosh, must believe. Just two simple things. All you've got to do... All you got to do to please God is believe two simple things. One, that He exists. That's not so hard. And two, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. If you go after Him, He's going to reward you. If you go after Him, He's going to touch you with His love. He'll give you more of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the next thing, which is our part. And that is pursue God radically. Don't make a half-hearted pursuit of God. You guys, I, 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 because you all know I'm such a pig and I just love food so much, if any of you have been with me for more than ten minutes, you know that there's a glutton living inside this svelte body. <laughs> I see life as a buffet. You know, I, all, my, all my biblical images are food images. All my analogies are food analogies. I see this long, this long buffet, you know. It's got like the crab legs and the prime rib. It's just phenomenal buffet. We go through life like this. We get our big old plate, our buffet plate, American size, and we just start, you know, heaping stuff on it, going down the buffet. Problem is, God's the 88th item on the table. Right? And he's kind of hidden. He's just a little dollop of something. Maybe he's the 
horseradish for the prime rib. Trouble is, by the time we filled up on life with a big chunk of meat and some of this and some of this and the plate's all full, we get down to the God dish and there's just no room on the plate left. So we just take a little, just a little bit and we just kind of plunk them on the side of the plate. And then we eat everything else and just a little daub of God and put a little bit of the God on the side of this. And that, that tasted pretty good. God's a nice addition. God's a nice condiment. God's not a condiment. God's the whole thing. And if we're too busy filling up on everything else, by the time we get to God, I mean, we, we haven't pursued him earnestly at all. We've added a little bit on the side because it kind of flavors life. That's not fair. And that's not pursuing God. Ask, seek, knock. Let's look at this verse. Because this really lays it out. Luke 11, 9. And this is Jesus talking. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. We all know this verse, right? This is one of the famous verses in the Bible. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now here's where it gets interesting. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or he asks for an egg and you give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's drawing a direct connection between the quality of our asking and the quality of our experience of God. Do you see that there? He's talking about how much of the Holy Spirit we receive. He's talking about how much of the work of adoption, witnessing deep within us that we're God's children. How much do we actually experience of that? It's in proportion to asking, seeking, and knocking. Doesn't sound like much, does it? Ask, seek, knock. In the English, ask, seek, knock. Well, that's not hard. Let me give you what it means in the Greek. Ask, seek, and knock are three different and unique expressions. And they're interesting because they go in degrees of intensity. Ask is the least intense. It just means this. And it literally means this. Use your voice. Just ask. Just use your voice. That's about as simple as it gets. Just ask. But seek... Seek. It means in the Greek, get physically involved in the asking. Take it beyond just asking. You begin to involve your body in the pursuit. What might that look like? How do we involve ourselves wholeheartedly in our pursuit of God? I'll tell you one crazy one I did. I was studying the life of Jesus. Hey, there's a surprise. Huh, I was studying the Bible. I was studying the life of Jesus, and I got to the story of the blind man who he healed of blindness. And the first thing that blind man ever saw in his life 
was the face of Jesus looking at him. About like this far away. Looking into the eyes of God. The first thing he ever saw. Isn't that the coolest thing? So I thought, I wonder what that would be like. To be blind and the first thing you see is the love of God. Now, I I know this sounds crazy, but this is seeking. I decided to be blind for a morning. So I got my ski goggles and I filled them with the sock and I put the ski goggles on and I spent the morning bumping into things in my apartment. Several hours of being blind. I just wanted to see what it was like. And I wandered around and bumped into the things and it was a meditation. The whole time I'm thinking, what would it be like to be the first thing you see coming out of blindness is the face of God. Wouldn't that be something? And I ended the morning just coming into my back room in prayer and saying, I want to see you. Take take them off and open your eyes and there's Jesus. That's pretty stupid. That's an emotionally unstable individual. Spending a morning doing something like that. Guys, I wanted to know God. I wanted to understand the story. I wanted to feel what it would feel. As close as I could get, I wanted to feel what it would feel like. Do you understand? I mean, how much do you want him? In the Christian life, we really get in proportion to our hunger. Really is true. I said this last week and a bunch of you nodded your heads. It's really true. In the Christian life, most of the time, we get as much of him as we really want and as little of him as we don't. But that's just asking. Now there's another one. Knock. This one's really something. In fact, this one's almost a little hard to believe. The knock here literally means in the Greek, grab and violently take hold of it. Take it to yourself and don't let it go. It's a very aggressive action. The English translation of this Greek word is an old English word we don't use anymore, importunate. It literally means, this Greek word means, be importunate. And when I looked importunate up in the dictionary, it said this, make a nuisance of yourself. It literally means make a nuisance of yourself with God. Get in His face and bug Him till you get what you want. Give him no peace. Get in his face and tell him, this is what I want. I want more of you. And I want the experience of your love and I'm not quitting till I get it. Now, come on. Now, come on. Make a nuisance of yourself. When was the last time you made a nuisance of yourself? Oh, we're not supposed to make a nuisance of ourselves with God. That, that would be disrespectful. He's asking. This is his idea. Come on. I started a prophetic word one time a number of years ago in a meeting in Phoenix. I started it for a person and I looked at him and said, the Lord says over you, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. A Spice Girls too? God's got a sense of humor. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Want. Tell me what you want. What you really, really want. Get in my face about this. And if it's me you want, get in my face about it. 
Make a nuisance of yourself. And Okay, so you say, that's crazy. Like, why would God... Is God so insecure? Is God like those Hollywood stars that have a whole entourage of people going, walking around going, oh, I love you, you're wonderful, give me your autograph. Give me a minute of your time. Is God like saying, get in my face over this because he's so insecure, he just wants to really be, be uh, adored? What's his motivation for telling us we need to get in his face to get what we want from him? Is he asleep? Is he uncaring? No. When we get in his face, when we get physically involved in the pursuit, when we, get a nu- when we ma- become importunate, when we make a nuisance of ourselves with God and we get in his face, our attention is completely on him and we see him more clearly and this increases our faith to believe and it opens our heart for the experience and the Holy Spirit can flood in. Pursue God radically. Number two, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and he knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He's got seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. Hmm, just had a thought. I just had a thought. This message about receiving the love of the Father is the most important message in my life. This is the one I care most to preach. This is what I wish would happen for every single person in the room. We prayed on Thursday night. We prayed on Wednesday night for this to happen to everybody in this room. God, touch them with the spirit of adoption. Jesus, reach out and make your love real to them. Father, show them what you're really like. Because one experience of this will change your life. Then on Thursday night at band practice, we asked again. And I've asked every day since. And I asked last night. But the disciples can't heal you. My prayers aren't going to make it happen for you. I wish to God my prayers could make it happen for you. I would do anything for you to have this experience. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. If the Lord showed up here this morning, swear to God, and said, Mark, if you, if you die this morning before this message is over, if I can kill you in the middle of this message, but the, but the deal is everybody in the room has this experience today, would you die for that? Absolutely. I'm done. I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. That's how much it matters. But my prayers can't do it for you. Your friends' prayers can't do it for you. Your husband's prayers can't do it for you. Nobody can pray you into this experience. You have to desire it, and you have to go to God and say, I want this. But the disciples couldn't heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse. Where have we heard that before? Unbelieving and perverse. Oh, Unbelieving and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. He's got to come to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out and he was healed at that moment. And the disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said, because you have so little faith. Faith is the issue in receiving anything from God. What do you believe for? 
I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then he says, in another incident describing exactly, in another story describing the same incident, he replies, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. I don't believe it's because there's a certain kind of demon that only responds to fasting people. I don't believe that. I believe this. Prayer and fasting gets us in God's face and when we're in God's face we encounter Him and our faith goes up to believe and faith opens the door of heaven and the power of God flows through our faith and changes our lives and the lives of people around us and we receive from the Holy Spirit what we need by faith. Prayer and fasting increases your faith. Why? Because it gets you in God's face. You just cleared the buffet table. Threw everything on the floor and said, I just want what's in this bowl right here. I just want what's in this bowl right here. I don't want the rest of that. I'm not going to have the rest of that. And your fasting may not be food, people. You may have to fast television. You may have to fast some entertainment. You may have to fast some sports. You may have to fast some things that you hold dear to you. Well, that's the problem. You hold them dear. They're too dear. They're in the way. You may have to clear the buffet table till there's just the little bowl of God stuff. And then go after that. And if that's not... I mean, that's costly. That sounds like earning. That sounds like legalism. That sounds like... It's not... Clearing the table is not legalism. It's just clearing the table. You're not earning anything. You're just getting rid of the distractions. So when it's time for an encounter with God, you're there. And when it's time to believe for His love for you, that He wants this experience for you, you're there. You're believing for it. Now it's just a matter of time and circumstance. When, where, and how. But it's going to happen. Not because there's a certain kind that only comes out with a certain amount of prayer and fasting, but because prayer and fasting focuses on our attention on God and His power and His goodness. And the closer we get to Him, the more we see His goodness. And the more we believe what He says about His love. Fasting returns our attention to Him. It is not a ritual. It is not magic. It focuses us on a relationship to Him. And anything that returns our gaze to Jesus increases our faith and knowledge of His love. Number three, and we're almost done. And I know this sounds weird, but the Lord taught me this the hard way. I learned this one the hard way. Give thanks. Give thanks. Psalm 78.41 in the King James says this, They turned their back and tempted Interesting, it means either tested or vexed God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not His hand, nor the day He delivered them from the enemy. We limit God's ability to move in our lives when we forget His goodness to us and when we stop giving thanks. The Israelites were told, you write everything God ever did for you down on a piece of paper. And you take those little pieces of papers and curl them up and weave them into your hair. And you put them in little boxes that hang from your forehead. That was a bit of a hyperbole, but they actually did it. 
They actually wove the stories of God's faithfulness into their hair and put them in little boxes that hung from their foreheads. God said, you keep my good deeds ever before you and don't you just dwell on them. You tell them to your children. You tell your kids what I did for you way back when. And you keep recounting my good deeds and my faithfulness to you. Because if you don't, you're limiting my ability to come in and act for you. Why? Because when you are unthankful and you don't remember what He's doing, your faith drops like a rock. You just don't have it. But as you give thanks, the faith in you, it actually begins to increase because you're dwelling on what He's done. You're dwelling on His faithfulness. And as you dwell in His faithfulness, faith begins to fill you. And you can start believing not for the past deeds of God, but for the future promises. Focusing on the past deeds of God empowers us to reach out and take hold of the future promises. And when you take hold of the future promises in God, they eventually come true. Do you hear what I'm saying? I went through this period of darkness in my life where my life exploded. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Literally. Everything. And I went into a depression. And I'd still come to God every day, prayer and fasting, right? It was disciplined into me. So I'd come to God every single day and I'd sit down for my quiet time with Him in a state of despair and depression and I'd been praying to die. I'd been praying for about a year every day to die. And he hadn't killed me. I said, would it be such a thing for you to arrange a car accident? I did. I said, can't you just like arrange a car accident? I don't want to kill myself. That's disobedient. But could you just arrange a car accident? I'm not making this up. For a year I prayed this every day. I came to him one day at about the end of that year. I couldn't stand it. I said, look, I hate this. I just hate this. I have no peace. I have no peace. And he said to me, Philippians 4. This is off topic. Let's go, let's go get it. This is important. He gave me the reference, which was, I think, convenient. He's not dealing with the smartest guy on the planet. Can't, the smartest guy on the planet can't even find Philippians. And he gave me this reference and I went and read it. Listen to this, you guys. I start to read this. I'm in this state of despair. I want to die. My life has exploded. Everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. And he's got the... <laughs> and he says to me, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I go, no. <laughs> I said, what? what? You got, I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, what do I have to rejoice for? My mother just died. My wife has broken out with boils all over her body and the doctor is locally injecting each one of them with cortisone to bring it under control. She's on that drug for six months. Then that six months ends and it destroys her. The drug, there's now a class action lawsuit out on it. It destroys her intestines. Now she can't digest food. She went from 126 pounds at our marriage to 84 pounds. You know how small she is. You've seen my, she's petite. Now take, take that much weight off and you're looking at someone who's going to die. She was skin and bones. I thought she was going to die. My best friend put a knife in my back and the church led to a church split. My mother's died. My wife is sick. We don't know what's going on. I'm not sure if I have a job. 
I've left everything to be a pastor, and now I probably won't get to be a pastor. I mean, I'm in a depression, folks. The only thing I was living for at that point was Monday night football. I lived from Monday night football to Monday night football. I'm not kidding. It was the only thing that I had peace. For those few hours, I had peace. And then I'm in my quiet time. My, can you believe how bad this quiet time is? Why am I even here? Why am I doing this quiet time? And I say to God, I have no peace. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> like, you've got a lot of gall, God. Oh, it's worse. I will say it again. Rejoice. <laughs> and then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I just want to kill someone. There's no gentleness left. But I'm thinking, oh, what an appropriate verse for me. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I can't tell. I don't see Him. Doesn't seem to be near to me. And then He really hits me with, you know, let's just make it a little worse. Don't be anxious about anything. Listen, I'm anxious about everything. In everything. In everything. You've got to be kidding. By prayer and petition. Now here's the phrase that got me. This is when everything changed. With thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace that I had been lacking, which transcends my circumstances and anything I can think, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. He hit the phrase with thanksgiving. When I hit with thanksgiving, it's like a light went on and he spoke to me with a thought in my head. And he said, when was the last time you came to me and just gave thanks? And I said, nothing, never, never, long time, don't have anything to give thanks for. And he said, do you want the peace? And I said, yes. He said, start giving thanks. I said, what for? He said, anything you can think of. And I thought, it was, I was in my tub, having my quiet time in my big soaker tub. I said, the water's warm. He said, good, keep going. I, I have a house. I'm not on the street. He said, that's, that's good. Go. Come on. I said, I have a car that runs. Yes. I said, I have a wife. She's really sick, but she loves me. He said, good. I thought, I have a, my family still loves me. My reputation's ruined, but my family still loves me. I, I have a dad and brother, a brother and a sister, and they love me. Good. Keep going. I have some friends that still like me. Lost a lot, but I've got a few loyal people in my life. And it's, and it's sunny today. In Canada, that's a big deal. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's sunny today. And I don't have cancer. And um, I still have enough money to live for now. And I have you. He said to me, do that every day. Before you come to ask for anything, even to be with me, start doing that. Just do all the stuff you're thankful for every day. I said, okay. I started doing it every day. Sit down to be with him. I'm still depressed. Nothing's changed. And I just start giving thanks. For, and I, I would, you guys, I, I was giving thanks for food. Well, of course. You know. <laughs> for my dog, for my wife, for my car, for my house, for my job, for my friends, for my, for my family, for my guitar. I gave thanks for everything. All the time. And here's what I found. After a couple of days of starting my prayer time like that, 
when I finish giving thanks for about 20 minutes, I'm at peace. I have peace. This is really weird. I have peace. And all I did was give thanks. It really is, you know. And here's the deal. In the last few months, I've been losing peace. And I went back and I said, I don't have any peace. And God said, you know what to do. Come on. Get it on. Come on. I just started giving thanks again. I got a lot of stuff. Now I got way more stuff now to give thanks for. I got a new guitar. And I got you guys. You know, we go for walks. Shelly and I go for walks and we pray on our walks. And, and we give thanks for you guys. And I say, I love our church and I love the people in our church. They're the best. I love them. They're wonderful. There's some strange ones. But then they're praying the same thing about me. So, you know. Like, we've got so much to be thankful for as we give thanks. We are celebrating His goodness in our life and it increases our faith level to believe for more and that opens our hearts and our minds to the love of God and He begins to come in. But a grumbling, complaining attitude is the same as unbelief and it will destroy your spiritual life. Destroy it! We've got to learn to be a thankful people. We limit God when we refuse to remember His greatness in our past and even in our present right now. And finally, got to forgive. Got to forgive. Listen to this passage. Quite profound. Mark 11.22. He starts talking about faith. Right? Hello? The subject matter of today's message? Faith? Have faith in God. Command. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You have to start by believing you're going to receive the experience of the Father's love. I believe He loves me like this. I believe He's going to make this love real to me. You start by believing that. You look at the passages, you go through the passages that speak of the love of God to you, and you personalize every single one. Um, A mother might forget her child. Could it be that a mother might forget her child? But it is impossible. It is impossible for me to forget you because I've written Mark on the palm of my hand. You personalize it. And you take every one of those passages that speaks about the love of God and you write them down in a book. And every time you need to, you come to prayer. You come to ask anything for God. You remind yourself every day, this is how He feels about me. And you read those things. And you read them in faith. This is how He feels about me. And you can say to this mountain, big old lies... Big old fears, negative father image, bad theology, bug off in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is how my father feels about me. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, you believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, then he says this. 
I never got this. He's talking about faith and how to pray. And then he throws in this line, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your heavenly Father may forgive your sins. What does that have to do with experiencing more of God? What does that have to do with faith? Unforgiveness is one of the worst things you can do. It will clog the pipe through which the love of God flows into your heart. You just have to think of your heart like plumbing. There's this container inside of you capable of holding clean water. If you plug up that pipe by refusing to forgive and you won't let the love flow out of you, that water will stagnate and rot like a stinking bad slough. And pretty soon, you have plugged the pipe, you are full of bitterness, it is stinking and rotting inside of you, and you can't get any fresh water to come in because you've plugged the pipe with all this bad stuff. You need to flush that pipe out and shoot that, pressurize, I mean, do something, but would you please forgive? Because when you forgive, it blows that clot of bad stuff out of there and all the crappy water flows out and all the fresh water, the love of God flows in and begins to circulate inside and cleans the walls of that container and pretty soon you've got a flow going in and a flow going out and a flow going in and a flow going out. Unforgiveness stops the flow going out which eventually stops the flow coming in. Do you understand? It's just physics. Spiritual physics. You can't come to God and ask for an experience of His love if you were withholding love from someone else. Can't do it. God won't be a part of that. It's not his nature. So today, if you're holding anything against anybody, I don't care how bad it is. You can allow his forgiveness to flow through you to that person. Give him permission to flow through you for that person and release it and just deal with it. Because then the love starts pouring in and you get your prayers answered. Does this all make sense? Okay, look, let's apply this, okay? This is important. There's a bunch of issues that we need to deal with as people. And here they are. I'm just going to run through very quickly. Close your eyes. I'm going to read the list of issues that we've touched on this morning. And then I just want you to close your eyes and just the Holy Spirit's going to quicken one of these phrases to you. You're going to be sitting here and he's just going to go, that's it. And you're going to go, okay, now I know what to deal with. And we've got a plan, all right? Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning, I can't make an experience of your love happen, but you can sure do a lot here. You can convict, you can give truth, you can direct, you can guide, you can show us how to proceed. Jesus, I'm asking you to show each one of us how to proceed here. Show us what the issue is and how we can deal with it. Okay. Holy Spirit, quicken the truth to each one of your kids. Is the issue that stands in the way lies? Is it your bad father image? Have you forgiven him? Has what he's done colored your understanding of the love of God? Is it bad teaching? Have you been taught that you're on that treadmill of performance and you only get his love when you're measuring up and being good? Is it that you're just not believing in his goodness? You're not increasing your faith to believe. And you need to dwell on his truth and his word 
and his promises? Is it that you need to pursue God more radically? Are you only asking when you could be seeking or you could be actually getting in his face and making a nuisance of yourself for the love that you need? Is the rest of the buffet table in the way? And you filled up on all the other stuff before you got to him. Do you need to change something in your daily patterns? Have you not been praying? Haven't been spending any time with him? Prayer and fasting. Getting in his face. Spending time with him. Experiencing him. Giving him a chance. Have you forgotten about giving thanks? Have you made cynicism and pessimism your default response to life? Does that need to change? Finally, is it a forgiveness issue? Is there someone you haven't forgiven and you need to do it? Holy Spirit, I pray that you take a yellow highlighter and you highlight which one is our issue today. Which one is my issue, Lord? I know for sure one of them. Anything else? Put up your hand if the Holy Spirit quickened one of those phrases to you. If he showed you something. Okay, this is good. He's really working. Here's what we're going to do. You can open your eyes. This isn't manipulation, what I'm about to tell you. This is theological, and I'm going to show you how this works. We could just say, okay, everybody who put up your hand, prepare to receive... I'm going to pray a blessing over you and the Holy Spirit is going to give you more power to overcome that thing you're dealing with. We could do that. That's one way to end. That would be asking. Okay? Now how about seeking? What would a physical response look like today? From you. What would it look like? Anybody? Getting out of your seat and coming forward. That's what it would look like. It would look like involving your body in the pursuit of what you're asking for from God. Guys, that's why we do altar calls. That's why we do altar calls. Because when you involve yourself physically in the pursuit of something, you're involving more of who you really are. You're going beyond the mental and the emotional into involving your body and going after God. That's bringing more of you to more of Him. You're going to get more of a result. It's just the way it works. But there's something even beyond coming forward. That's getting in His face coming forward. I'm not kidding, God. I mean it. I want this. I want resolution. I want this broken in my life. I want to get rid of the lies. Help me to give thanks. Help me to come. I'm serious. I'm getting a little passionate about this, Lord. I really do want You. Do you understand? David, many times in the songs, Psalms, talks to his soul. 
He says, oh my soul, give thanks. Oh my soul, rise up. Oh my soul, why are you so downcast within me? He even speaks to his emotions. Taking charge over his feelings and saying, no, I will not buy into this. He ends his songs of lament with a phrase, and I love it. At the end of every song, psalm when he's down, he ends it with this. But you, God. But you, God, do this. But you, God, are like this. But you, God. He puts the but you, God. That's the faith moment. That's where the despair turns into a prayer of faith. But you, God. Now, it's a little time for some but you, God. But you, God. Get in his face. All right? So if you want some help with the thing the Holy Spirit quickened to you this morning, get off your butts and get down here and get prayed for. Because passivity is not going to get you what you want. Alright? So let's do it. Prayer team, come on forward. Anybody that wants prayer on these issues, you want to take the next step? Let's get down here and, and let's get prayer. Okay. Okay, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to do the prayer team thing. Y'all just come forward who have a desire, and I'm going to move along and lay hands on you and just pray a quickening of the Holy Spirit to your willpower, to your resolve, to whatever you need to take that next step. We're going to pray it down upon us right now, and we're going to believe in faith that we're receiving it. So, folks, come on, get earnest with the Lord here. You got something you want, you He's touched an issue, you're here to encounter Him. Alright? You're here to encounter Him. To receive from Him a touch of His willpower, His strength, His truth, His love, His earnestness. You're here to get what you need. So let's act like it. Well, there's a, there's a today's, there's a pay dirt message. There's a mother load message. Alright. Now, everybody else, stretch out your hands, will you please? Right now, you're helping. You're the prayer team here. Just, I want you to think, I, I want you to imagine that you actually have power inside of you, and when you stretch out your hand and point it at somebody, it releases the power of God to that person. I'm serious. In fact, well, you don't have to imagine it. That's the truth. That's how it works. You have spiritual authority. You can release the blessing of God towards another person right now. So all of you sitting there, you're not sitting there by accident. God wants you a part of this. This is your role. So I want you to look at the backs of these people and do a scan along this crowd and just watch and the Holy Spirit will freeze your gaze on the back of somebody's head. That'll be the person He wants you to pray for. And you just in faith reach out your hand right now to that person. And you can do several. Don't just do one, but look, look for the people the Lord. The Lord will actually stop your gaze on an individual. He does this to me all the time. He'll just stop my gaze on an individual. I'll know that person I'm going to give a prophetic word for. That person's going to get this or that. It's just, it's just a thing He does. So you can do that right now. Just look across here, and He will freeze your gaze at somebody, and then you just say, God bless them right now. God, I release with that person. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release the power of God to that person for what they need. All right? Just let's start praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, you take us seriously. Lord Jesus, you take us seriously. Thank you for taking us seriously. 
It may seem like a simple response, Lord, that I came forward to encounter you, but it isn't. It's an act of obedience. You know what you need. Call out for it. God, this is what I need. God, this is what I need. Call out for it. Give it to him, Lord. Come on, give it to him, Lord. Give it to him, Lord. Give it to him, Lord. Okay, this is it. Fear, be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now we take authority over fear in the name of Jesus and we break the power of fear over you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name. Fear, be gone and shut up. Lord, I pray an authority rises up inside of her. An authority, Lord, where she sees the lies for what they are and she sees that every lie attaches to a fear and the fear attaches to a lie and she's able to identify what that fear is and what that lie is. Give her that discernment right now. I impart that discernment to you right now in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lisa, you're going to be able to identify the lies. You're going to be able to identify the fears. And you just rise up in strength with Doug, who's going to help you do this, and say, that's nothing but a lie from hell, and I refuse to believe that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over my own thoughts, and I command this lie to be gone, and I break the power of this fear over myself. Lord, rise up strong in her. God, and use Doug to speak the truth to her where she needs it, Lord. Listen, this is allowed to come against you for a season so that you're going to grow up stronger in this and you're going to be a woman of God beyond your wildest expectations. This is a trial and a test, but it's a time of refinement, Lisa. This is actually, it's a good time for you. You're going to come out of this with something you could have never had if it was easy. Do you understand? You're going to come out of this with a faith and a strength that you never could have had if it was easy. God.